such a great turnout. Um, and I hope you came with your questions. Uh, I'm going to give a little intro and pray, and then Anderson, who is our moderator for tonight's meeting, is going to, uh, for our panel discussion, is going to give some kind of how we're doing this and, and rules of sort of what we're doing. And um, So let me explain sort of uh, why we're, we're doing this. Uh, it's really important for us as a community to have an opportunity to engage. I know that there have been a number of conversations that have happened in your community groups over the last six weeks. We've been really encouraged to hear the number of conversations that have been happening in your community groups. And the fact that it's not all been everybody agrees on everything, that's, that's actually been um, a good thing. I feel like that, um, as I said at the very beginning, the goal of this series is not um, everybody has to uh, agree on, on everything. Um, I want to remind you that, uh, what I said the first week we started this series, that our uh, understanding of Scripture and gender issues in Scripture are really third-order uh, theological issues. That means that the sort of first-order theological issues are about Jesus and the resurrection. Did Jesus die? Was he raised from the dead? And you see that represented in our vows for membership. When people join our church, they're only asked questions about first-order issues. Do you believe you're a sinner and Jesus is a Savior of sinners and you put your trust in him? Second-order issues uh, about which Almost all Christians agree. You have, you have to agree about the first one to be a Christian. The, the secondary issues around which most Christians agree is the Bible is God's word. God exists in three persons as a trinity. Uh, the spirit inhabits believers at conversion. So there, those kind of third order or second order issues around which most Christians agree. And then there are third order issues around which there's a lot of disagreement within the, the church. And those have to do a lot of, in a lot of cases about around uh, issues of speaking in tongues, the end times, uh, around, around gender. I mean, there are a lot of these kind of issues, and you know you could probably list a lot of these. Um, that doesn't mean they're not important. Right? A lot of those issues are actually things that really divide Christians, that people really struggle with in our culture. And I would never say, hey, it doesn't matter. Those things do matter. They're just not primary. We always tell people if they're coming to evaluate Christianity, you don't evaluate Christianity based on third-order issues. Like, do I like the Bible's position on sexuality and gender? That, in fact, it doesn't really matter if those things, what the Bible says about those, if the primary issue is not clear, if it's not Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Um, if, if he's not raised from the dead, that's the center of Christianity. That's the main point. And if that is not true, it doesn't matter what the Bible says about, any, about these other issues. That, that's the point we push people to. That doesn't mean it's not something that people are really interested in, and we'll talk about that later tonight. I, I just want to remind you of that though, going into this. Like, why are we doing this series? Uh, we want to promote healthy discussion in our community around how we interpret Scripture in very important issues. We want to keep Jesus central. That's why you haven't heard... Uh, haven't had sermons for the last eight years on any of these issues. These come up just now. Uh, but they are important, and we want to make sure that they have airtime. Um, tonight is an opportunity for you to ask questions, and uh, I'll let Anderson explain how we're going to do that. But before I do so, uh, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for our, our time together tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, meet us 
We pray, Father, as we talk through really difficult things and probably come up short in some ways. We pray, Father, for your work among us. We pray, Father, we would leave this place more confident of your love for your people, your spirit's power to be at work in your church, and our church trying to love and uh, live out the gospel together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I turn it over to Anderson, let me introduce the panel um, of who's um, sharing tonight and why. So Mary Pat Henders, James Sutton, Ann Fletcher, David Spickard, Susan Bradford, and myself. Uh, these folks represent uh, three of our elders and three of our commissioned women who have served alongside our elders and who have a story to tell about how they have worked through and live with a church that's a complementarian church. So that's why they've been asked to serve on the panel tonight. Uh, these are not experts, and they probably will all come up, will all come up with, with answers that are I don't know, so, and which is totally okay. Um, but we're going to take turns and pass the mic and, and interact together. So, Anderson. Awesome. Hey, do y'all mind scooting back so I can see your face and not asking questions to the side of your face? That'd be awesome. Um, so today we sent out the phone number to receive some text messages and questions um, prior to tonight. And so we've already begun to organize those in a way um, that hopefully will make most sense. Um, so any repeated questions or questions that revolve around the same issue, we're going to group those together. And so if we don't get to your specific question tonight, um, we hopefully will get to it in regards to um, grouping it with other questions. And so apologize if we don't get to every question tonight. We will not. Um, but it, this session will also be taped um, and be sent out. So if anybody that wanted to hear it um, would like to, um, that will be posted I believe where our sermons are located as well. And so um, if you can keep questions, questions, and not just send in statements, that would be very helpful. Um, and also just uh, remembering that, uh, or I'm, my prayer tonight is that the care um, for our congregation and for our community will be present and that we'll draw closer to Jesus through all of this. So um, with that, we will begin. So we've heard that this is a third-tier issue for Christians, but how um, do you approach someone who sees this as a first-tier issue? Essentially, why would a person who has non-traditional gender views and feel judged and hated by Christians ever consider a relationship with Jesus? It's an easy one for me because <clears throat> I don't know where I'd be without Jesus. And that is the primary issue. And um, when he came into my life, when he saved me, um, I got a tremendous sense of clarity uh, about a lot of things in my life, um, not the least of which was that he's the most important. And... Um, that doesn't negate that there are things that are hard about following him that are really tremendously hard. Um, and yet he, I find that he is worth it. And that is what I would hold out to others who are wondering about whether this Christianity thing is a thing for them. Um, I can speak f from my experience that it is worth it. And it is... Um, 
these third-tier issues are, are, are not without trouble um, and, or head-scratching, but um, gosh, he's just so worth it. And I think that's what I would say to someone who was um, wanting to explore whether uh, they could connect with, um, with Christianity. And my experience in the 30 years, 1989, since, since I asked him to come in, um, the community that I've experienced as a part of the churches I've been a part of has been um, life-saving for me and for my children. And I just would offer that up. That's what I would say. Yeah, Mary Pat, and just to build off of that, I think um, it has to be authentic in the way we engage, too, so that people see Jesus in us. And I think the last part of the question, Anderson, like why would someone want to be a part? It's so much about how we then love, how we then love people, and that the authenticity of our faith comes out through the way people um, see our genuine love uh, for them. All right. Um, next question. Why did we do this series as it was so divisive? What is CTK's expectation as a result of this series? How is our congregation supposed to engage with a world that views this topic very differently? So this might be a question for Jeff or James. Um, I think our hope was that this series wouldn't be divisive, but that it would be unifying, right? Like that, um, I, I think oftentimes our, our silence and our dancing around can often be more divisive than our speaking clearly and inviting dialogue. Um, and I think Jeff had said from the very beginning that the hope uh, for this series would be that it would produce unity and produce dialogue, and I think our hope for the congregation would be that we would become more conversant um, in this topic, um, both with each other and with the outside world, um, and that, that the hope would be that this would spark discussions not just within our church and in, increase our own understanding about uh, gender topics, um, but that we would be more comfortable, right? Because I think, let's be honest, I think a lot of times we're very uncomfortable talking about these things. Um, because of the high potential for disagreement, um, that we'd be more comfortable uh, moving into uh, conversation and dialogue so that we could show forth the love of Christ and we could get to the primary issue um, and not just engage on this. Um, um, <coughs> I'm not a pastor, um, but I do think that... Um, Part of the conviction, too, was that uh, church is the place that we can talk about these kinds of things as opposed to those are conversations and discussions that we have out there somewhere. So I think it's also um, just a mark of good shepherding to say these kinds of topics are things we can address in church and talk about even though they are somewhat divisive or it can produce or um, highlight a lot of the disagreements that we have. But um, All right. 
I grew up in another denomination where women were pastors. I hold them in high regard. They guided me during different parts of my life, not sure what to do with that advice. And also, what do people say, what do parents say to their daughters that say they want to be pastors? I'll let you have it, Sandy. <laughs> I got something to say about that, too. <clears throat> no, no, ladies first. <laughs> So I um, grew up in the PCUSA church and um, in an an egalitarian family and um, came to know the Lord in middle school through the ministry of my female pastor. So I, too, have a high regard for women who are in ministry. Um, Love ministry. Personally love to minister to people. so this is a little bit more of just my, I'm kind of going to kind of get at the answer through my personal story. Um, I was a reluctant complementarian. And, um, and I think it's because I stood at, looked at the, the gender specialties um, really from a place of lack. Like this is something that is uh, a rule that I have to live under, um, and it felt like something was being withheld from women. And the closer that I got to the cross, and the more that I understood the fuller picture of um, the, the beauty of God's design and his creation, going back to Genesis and, and watching that play out throughout the whole of Scripture, watching Jesus, just that watch him do his thing. And it, it became beautiful to me. This Jeff has used the illustration of a dance, and I think that's a really helpful picture, is this is a dance, and it, the more I, I saw the beauty in these specialties, that God has given to women and the specialties that God has given to men. Um, it, it, it really points me to, to Ephesians 3, that the manifold wisdom of God is made known through his church. And, and how does that play out? Well, specifically with gender, this is, these are these specialties and this dance that, that happens. And um, so it really became more of an invitation, like come and join you know, here's Christ inviting me, come join me um, in what I'm doing, and I'm, I'm redeeming this world, and you can take part, and here are these, here's this beautiful role that I've given you, and um, so I'm no longer a reluctant complementarian. Um, I love complementarity in the church, and it's beautiful, and it points me to Jesus, and I have gotten to know Jesus more because I, um, I participate in the role of, of Ezer and um, the role of being a rest maker. Um, and so just kind of that shifting from rule that I had to just abide, like obey, to this is an opportunity for me to actually know Jesus better. And, you know, he... When I see him as the Ezer, 
and I can participate in being that and get to know him more or when I see him as the rest giver. It's just, it's beautiful. So um, what I would say to the daughter, um, such a good question. Um, My parents have just very lovingly asked me the question, even it's like, have you thought about going into pastoral ministry? And um, so I did early on, I I wrestled with that, that question before kind of coming into seeing the beauty of complementarianism. Um, And here's what I would say to my daughter if she were thinking about that. First of all, I would just celebrate that she wants to love people, right? I would celebrate that she wants to bring the gospel to to the world um, and shepherd people. And and there is no way that being a woman in a complementarian church limits you from doing that. Um, so I would first celebrate that. And then I would want to, and I would say that I would ask this of a man as well, um, tell me more. I want to hear more. Why? What's, what's your motivation for doing this? Kind of assessing the call. And this is probably where I would hand it over to people who are ordained and do this kind of thing. But, um, but first of all, I would celebrate. Second, I would just want to know why and why this was so important. This particular position was so important to her and then to help her and hold out to her an invitation um, that this isn't something that is withheld. This is an invitation to something that's beautiful. Yeah, I'll go real quickly. I, I think just kind of working backwards on that question, I too would be thrilled if Josie came to me and said she wanted to be a pastor because it would begin a conversation about her love for Christ, and um, and there would be all kinds of uncomfortable places we might <laughs> wind up going in that conversation. But man, that would be exciting, um, you know. Uh, uh, and then, kind of to the first part, I, I know lots of women who are in ministry who have been an enormous blessing in my life, um, who are ordained in ministry, and they know my views, and we're still friends. <laughs> And God still works through them in my life. So that's all. Next question. Jeff spoke about headscarves and headship in his sermon uh, this past week. He mostly talked about headship in terms of church leadership. How does headship factor into marriage? <laughs> um. I'll, I'll take a stab at this. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think that one of the things I heard more in this sermon that I hadn't really thought about um, was that the submission role uh, for the wife in marriage um, is not something that's demanded, but it's something that's offered. And I think that makes a really big difference. I think that we um, misunderstand that and get that wrong when we think of that as the husband demanding submission or um, uh, controlling her and telling her what to do, and she just simply um, complies. Um, I think um, it's not submission or headship in marriage is not passive um, for the wife. I really believe that um, one of my roles as an ezer in marriage is to open my mouth (laughs) and to speak up, Um, and, and, and so that means um, gathering strength or courage or um, what have you to um, to say what I think is right and what is true. 
Um, so, um, so with headship and submission, um, because I'm in that submissive role, um, again, that doesn't mean that I don't have um, a contribution uh, to the marriage. And then also the fact that I'm made in God's image, um, I get to um, share that with Jeff in the marriage and how that, and how that functions. Um, another thing that I would add, I don't know if you talked about this in the sermon, but um, I think that the both, well, both the role of headship and submission, um, they both look to Jesus to get their strength and for what that looks like, which I think is really helpful because, I mean, I think of Jesus as both um, this lowly man of sorrows who knows what it's like um, to struggle through life, and yet he's also um, glorified in, in submitting himself. And so there's that both and to him. But um, so both um, the wife and the husband look to Jesus to fulfill the role in marriage. Um, one of the things that Jeff and I love to share with couples when we do premarital counseling is that the role to lead, which is primarily the husband, um, to love and to lead her like Christ loves and leads the church. We hold that out um, for couples. And so if you're going to love, <laughs> if Christ loves the church well, he's going to love her and lead her well. He's not going to um, micromanage her or bully her or coerce her. Um, I mean, I think as, as the church, that's not how um, Jesus leads and loves his church. And so the husband in marriage um, can do likewise. If there is a disagreement, if there is a we don't know the direction, he needs to um, know the ins and outs of what she feels and thinks, and um, that's good stewardship of that headship role. So... Yeah, and so on the male side of the headship question, um, and I think of this both in terms of the church and in marriage and being husband and father, that it's not a call to power and prestige. It's a call to sacrifice. It's Honestly, it's a call to die. It's a call to die to self. And when you say, love your wife as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for the church. And so it's a really high calling that men have to take responsibility for. It's not something that we would want to sign up for, honestly, um, because it really is about sacrifice and dying to self and giving up power, then leading with power. Fortunately, that's not the way many of us see that, and many, some of our dads probably thought it was about lording over people, but even as I think about it as being an elder, coming and being an elder at the church is not for power and prestige, and that's why we think and pray hard and ask our wives and our families whether we are up to the task of taking on that role and responsibility. Because our call as elders is to care for your souls. Um, that's really what that's about. And that means we have to go low in order to do that instead of high. So. You know, the world may see this as men being 
in these places of, of really um, having control and domination. But just like the kingdom of God is always the opposite, right? <laughs> the first is last, last uh, shall be first shall be last, last shall be first. It's in many. It's the same way that leadership is about going low and sacrifice. All right, bear with me for a second, but so it's, uh, I have two questions with this next one. First one, we talk a lot about gender in terms of marriage, but it isn't the end all, be all. What do gender roles look outside of marriage, and how do we be those people outside of marriage or before marriage as men and women, specifically for college-age men and women? And then kind of with that, uh, another question that was asked, um, since gender is for relationship in a masculine-feminine way, if I'm single, how do gender roles apply to me in context of the church? As the token single person, <laughs> um, I ha- you know I have been married, but my marriage was not. Um, one that was uh, steeped in Christianity, and so there's no example there. Um, but in these years uh, of singleness, um, I have I have found it a privilege to be cared for um, and shepherded by uh, the pastors at the churches I've been a part of um, outside of church because I'm not married, and no holds on me. Right, I don't, if I, you know, the 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 it's the two roles, right? It's the two situations in in church I submit, and in marriage I submit. I'm not in marriage, and so um, I'm all about it. Uh, not mostly, not really, uh, but um, you know, I if, if God should bring uh, someone my way, it. Um, this late hour, it uh, is. <laughs> it would. It, it it will take some 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 work and some learning and relearning um, to to make that work. After having had for for those of us who are you know have been single for a little while, um, I can't remember back to my college age. Someone else is going to have to speak to that. But um, for those of us who have been single for a while, I'm very independent. I don't want anybody telling me about whether I can buy those shoes or not. And so. Um, I think not that that we've just said that's not what <laughs> that's not what they would do, but um, you know, so I'm sensitive to that, and it's and it's part of the equation as I think about what God has for me. Um, uh, but in in the in the context of the church, um, in uh, in so many ways, I have felt so well cared for and shepherded by. Um, the male leadership of the church. And so as a single person, that's a beautiful thing for me. And because I am single, I, I, I like to talk to the guys. So that's a helpful thing for me. Uh, I would say that um, in, in broader society, we, we don't exercise our gender roles regularly. And there's, re- there's a lot of reasons for that. That's... Um, C.S. Lewis talked about how it's really important that voting and uh, political life and business life is um, genderless in a lot of ways because um, people are sinful 
and we will exploit one another and we'll hurt one another. And it's only safe within covenant for us to exercise our gender specialties. Uh, that does mean that's not just a call for marriage. So the gender specialties that we highlighted in the series um, of being the uh, securer, of being the rest giver, of being the firstborn and the promoter, of being the initiator and the ezer, are things that we also can work out in our relationships within this body. So you do that within the context of your relationships in your community groups is one of the primary ways we do that uh, for men. That means creating space where you're making sure that the women in your community group, their voices are heard and prized. Uh, that means that women are pushing men in their relationships to step into uh, courage and not passivity and challenge, challenging them. Like, hey, God's, remember, God's calling on you. Um, that means creating opportunities for um, uh, in the, the rest giving, for reflection, uh, for, for there to be like asking good questions that cause um, leaders in your church, leaders in your community group, men that you know, to have to like take a step back and really think about like, yeah, where is, where is the Lord in this? I, I think that we have an opportunity to try those things out in faltering ways within the body of Christ. And that's not just for married people. That's for married people and single people. And that doesn't mean that those are always appropriate or always safe. You have to use discernment in your relationships. Uh, we would never say um, that, again, as, as Susan highlighted, um, that uh, submission is, a, is a, a promotion, is a gift that women have the right to give. It's never demanded. And so that, would never, that should never be demanded within the context of our relationships within the church either. Not every woman, woman just submits to every man. That's not what's in view in this. Uh, and yet, we have this opportunity to lean into gender roles within our, and specialties within our community together and try those on. And we're going to do those in faltering ways. We're not going to get them right. Uh, we're going to fail and hurt each other's feelings. But, and that's one of the reasons God's given us the body of Christ, is this is a safe place. And this is the safe place where we learn to love each other and hopefully we do so in ways that teach us how to love others as well. So that, that's how I'd say that, uh, college student or not. Uh, I think that we all have room to grow in those things about how we learn to become more and more the people that God's made us to be. Everybody has to learn that. And for everybody, that's an uphill battle of learning, learning those things. Thanks for sharing, Mary Pat and Jeff. So, All right. Um, how does the Christian relate to a person that is transitioning, being involved with the LGBTQ plus community, and what pronouns should we use? That is Sunday's sermon, right? So you get to come back on Sunday and hear the answer to that. Uh, real brief, though, I, I encourage people to use the pronouns that other people identify themselves by, always, because we are trying to build bridges, not walls. And it is our calling to love um, and to represent Christ. And so that, that is, you just heard the sermon for Sunday. So that's, that's kind of it. So, yeah. I'll let you off easy or something. All right, give me a second. All right, so what if a, uh, this is a two-part 
question, so I'm going to ask it in two parts. What if a transgender, openly gay, non-binary individual or committed, married, openly gay couple wants to come and worship at CTK? Come on. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that we, we want anyone who wants to come to come on Sunday morning, um, and, and we would welcome them into our worship service. Uh, we would have, you know, we would, that would be an entry point, a beginning point for relationship and dialogue, and there'd be a lot to talk about. <laughs> but, like, our worship services are open. So the second part of this question, what if then they want to become a member? What are the next steps for leadership as well as the members of CTK? What is the end game of our church for same-sex couples within the church? Divorce, question mark? Well, I'd say the end game for everyone in our church is um, is is really uh, to grow closer to Christ, and and so as far as as far as membership is concerned, if a same sex couple approached us and wanted to join the church, the first thing that I would say is, wow, um, right? I mean, we have. We have people um, who've been coming to our church for years that we can't get to join the church, <laughs> but uh, uh, but the fact that they would want to join our church, I would, that's that's an incredible starting place for conversation. Uh, there, of course, would be challenges to them joining our church simply because um, one of the vows of membership that you take is a vow um, submitting to the government and discipline of the church, and. Uh, our discipline is spiritual in nature. Essentially, our our uh, our discipline is our our leadership making a ruling on whether or not we think someone is following Christ and following Scripture. And so, we would have to talk about how we would believe if they're in an openly homosexual relationship that they're not following Scripture, um, and that membership would mean that they would immediately be uh, brought um, under discipline. Um, so. That would be a challenging thing. We would have to have those conversations, um, and those would be uh, conversations that would probably take place over a long period of time. And we have the same conversations with heterosexual uh, people who are wanting to join our church who are in um, openly active relationships. So um, so there's no difference um, between those. Simply, uh, simply that when someone wants to join our church, we, we ask them to take a look at their heart and life and ask them whether or not they're following after Christ. And, uh, and if they're not, we encourage them towards that. And, um, and that can be a slow process. Um, it can be a quick process, but we point them to the biblical passages that we think that they need to understand. And then we, um, and then we walk alongside of them with that. But the end game is always, um, a closer walk with Christ, and and that would be our our hope, and that would be what would be exciting about that conversation is because if they're coming to us wanting to join our church, it would mean that they would be open to that, um, and uh, and that would be exciting. So, so what would you tell a couple that has an intersex child about how their child will be received at CTK? Uh, we would love to have, and um, my guess is statistically probably do have uh, an intersex child or more at our church. Um, and we have worked really hard. Stephanie's provided a really 
uh, terrific community that I feel like has worked very hard to uh, meet families where they are and, um, and provide support to families. And um, that's been really a sig significant part of her kind of unique gifting that she brings to this role. And uh, we would really want uh, a child who has an intersex um, background or has started surgery or in process of that. We, we want our church to be a safe place uh, for that child and, and would do work in any way we can to make that possible. All right, so how is CTK proactively using the gifts of women? And then for the women, so that's probably for the men, part of the, the question is, so for the men on the panel, how is CTK proactively using the gifts of women? And then for the women on the panel, what is hard and what is good about working as a woman at a complementarian church? All right. Uh, we really love, um, and, and I'll say this, we are actively seeking to promote the gifts of women. I'm not sure we're great at it. Um, I, I think that we have room for growth in that area, and probably a lot of y'all could uh, give a lot of input on that. Uh, it, it is a, a, something that's very close to our hearts uh, as leadership, uh, as the elders in our church, of how can we promote and use the gifts of all of our members in our congregation? And where are we creating room for women to lead and serve and use their gifts within ministries across a variety of spectrum? And that's why I gave the explanation Sunday about the non-ordained man principle. We, we're not just saying, hey, here's what permission looks like. We would like pursuit to be sort of what marks our church. I think we have a lot of uh, room to grow in that. But uh, our, our, role, our goal is for women to be in positions that have um, uh, of teaching and equipping our leadership. We've, we've had um, guest speakers come in and, and lead um, who are women, um, equipping our, our uh, community group leader and elder community. We've had uh, women in leadership within um, our worship teams and, and want more of that. Uh, we use women's gifts on Sunday mornings, uh, community groups. Uh, discipleship at a variety of levels. I'm probably leaving other things off, but yeah. Yeah, I'd just say that, I mean, we have uh, female community group leaders, both married and single. Um, I, I'd say Jeff's right that we have a lot of room to grow. Um, our denomination has a lot of room to grow, and they recognize that. They did a study committee on this topic a year or two ago, and, um, and we're trying to take steps along with the rest of the denomination in that way. And I'll say we took a huge leap forward, I think, when we added... Uh, the commissioned woman role at our church because um, that, that's just provided a very valuable f platform for um, feminine voices um, to be heard and to be, uh, you know, for their input to be put into practice. You get, who wants the second part of this question? Yeah, I can, um, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I was just going to say that um, <coughs> I think across the board, I feel, um, as a woman at CTK, I feel supported. I think that the main relationship where I feel valued and supported is this one, meaning Jeff pulls me into ministry situations all the time and has even before I was commissioned. And so, thanks. <laughs> you may not know that. I would love to see more of that. Um, and I don't know if that's because 
of me and my role and the fact that I'm married, married and the fact that I'm married to Jeff. But I would love to see more um, other male leadership pulling me into ministry situations. I think the commissioned coming alongside elders has been really great. I get to sit around the table and um, open my mouth <laughs> and speak into situations, and I get to come alongside um, predominantly women, which makes a lot of sense. But um, I like the word collaboration. I wish that we could, um, well, I would, I would like to see more of a vision for collaboration for um, men and women working together that may not seem obvious or for other male leaders, that's really elders, to be, for me to be pulled into situations. Susan, what do you think about this? Susan, I'd love your ear on this. So that's just, but I'm very happy here, so across the board. <laughs> I feel loved and supported. <laughs> I think, uh, and this isn't as much personally, but um, I know for for many women, um, they have been in complementarian churches, which were not characterized by um, men in in servant leadership, loving the women, and they've been women have been hurt. So it can be a hard thing for some women coming into a church where they look at the leadership and, you know, when you've been hurt by somebody who was a male and you have male males who are your authorities, um, you, you, you bring that narrative, you bring those fears, you bring those concerns with you. Um, and so I think that could potentially be what would be hard for, for someone. Um, there are many other things too, but I will say just here in our local body, um, I have felt very encouraged in um, using the gifts that God has given me and um, opportunities for women. I think, so I would love, I echo everything that's been said, but I would love to see more opportunities for women. And some of that is really on us as women to sort of take this, we, we've been given this go, run, disciple people, Titus 2 ministry, and it's really kind of, in some ways, we, we're supported and we're invited to, and they're ready, these, these men, these elders are ready to encourage and support and sort of like, okay, let's do this thing. Let's um, Let's teach. Let's teach one another. Let's disciple one another. Let's um, let's take part in ministry together as women. So, um, so I think that's what could be hard. And then um, my personal experience is I feel encouraged. I think we as women have also room to to grow and sort of taking taking the invitation and running with it. And I would just point out, I not point out, but. Um, I came from a large PCA church uh, before here, and we had uh, what we called a board of women, and it was uh, commissioned about 12 women, again, big church, and there was a woman um, who was assigned to every elder committee and every diaconal committee, and they were not um, voting members, but they sat in on the meetings and gave their feedback. and. Uh, had discussion and um, were able to bring things to the table that perhaps um, the guys around the table had, didn't know or hadn't heard. Or, um, 
And, and coming here, I was like, man, where is that here? Um, and I think um, what I had to adjust to is it's a smaller church. And, um, you know, having had the really tremendous and humbling privilege of sitting in on the, on the shepherding meetings, it's amazing what the very small number of men who are leading this church get accomplished. It's tremendous. And so when I think about, um, you know, committee structures and reporting organizations and so forth, I, um, I just think that's uh, uh, a leap ahead that, that, that this body isn't maybe quite ready for. But I, I hope that someday it will be because I, we found it tremendously helpful, and as did the, uh, the deacons and the elders, to have a, a, a woman accountant sit in on when they were doing the budget. Um, it was a really helpful experience. And so um, I have great hopes because of my experience here and the uh, tremendous invitation that, that I have experienced to, to be engaged. I have hopes that it, it will just continue. Here we go. Why does CTK give people, uh, elders and leaders, the authorities to speak about homosexuality and gender dysphoria when it seems as though they haven't struggled with it themselves? Can you repeat the question? Why does CTK give people of authority the authority to speak about homosexuality and gender dysphoria when it seems as though they haven't struggled with it themselves? I'm guessing they're talking about elders and leaders yeah, of the church. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, that's a really hard question um, as a pastor because um, one of the callings that we have regularly with regard to God's Word is to open God's Word and to, to proclaim what's written in there and to help a, a congregation walk in that in areas where we may not struggle or we may not identify, and yet we're, we're tasked with preaching the whole counsel of God. And um, if we did, uh, it would be hard for me to imagine how we could do that well. But um, I understand that there's a real need, uh, a real longing for authenticity in the voices that are leading the congregation on issues particularly that are really challenging like this one. And that's why, man, um, I entered into this series with a lot of fear and trembling uh, because I know this hasn't been a um, particular struggle of mine. Um, we're about to do a series after this on the seven deadly sins, and I'm going to preach on some of them that I don't struggle with. And, and that may feel like, oh, that's a cheap example, but actually that's a kind of a regular thing where I have to stand up and open God's Word and talk about things that God says because uh, my role, our pa pastor's role, James's role, is not to... Um, only speak upon things upon which we're the authority, but to allow God's word, which is the authority for our church, to speak. And that's a, that's a really hard dance. Um, it's a very fair question, and um, I understand why that question's asked. And so that's one of the reasons I said at the very beginning of this series, I may screw this up, uh, and probably have in some areas. And, and yet, I think it's an important conversation for us as a community to have. And if... I don't know who the question asker is, but um, if there are things that you felt like were unjust in the way you feel like um, we've talked about these issues, we want to hear from you. I mean, we're doing this panel form this way so that people aren't embarrassed asking questions. But 
Um, we want feedback, too. This isn't just like, hey, listen to us and go home. This is, this is an attempt to, ha to create a dialogue uh, in a safe way, but we want the, also the honest feedback. And I feel, feel some feedback behind that question, and I just want to acknowledge that. Y'all are asking some really good questions. It's a lot of them. <laughs> So, Jeff, you mentioned that this might be something that you preach on Sunday, but how, this was another very popular question. How do we love family members that are transitioning and communicate with family members that are encouraging that family member to transition? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about this Sunday. But uh, I think um, love and truth. And those two things always go together in the Christian world. And unfortunately, we live in a culture right now that loves like, and the Christian church does this, where we pull the grenade on the truth bomb and we lob it over the fence and we let it blow up. Um, there's also uh, a lot of the Christian community that loves love and never opens our mouths because we're so dang afraid. And um, if you're in authentic relationships with people that you deeply care about and they see how you care um, then your love for them has to be marked by both. And, and so I would really encourage people, um, you uh, don't have to always feel like you've got to be, um, if you're the type of person who's going to open your mouth and say stuff and you're going to lob the truth, truth bomb, you probably need to lean on the love side of the fence. If you're the, the type of person who's never going to open your mouth, you're going to need to start. You've been equipped now. Uh, so you need to start learning to speak up. And saying, are you sure that this is what's best? Do you, are you sure this is the things that you're doing, moving toward transitioning, uh, chemically or surgically in particular, are irreversible in their effects? And just being really caring about asking all those questions. And people know. I heard a really wonderful exchange between um, Rosaria Butterfield, whom we've mentioned before, um, who is one of the most kind of uh, visible speakers in the country with regard to um, in, in conversations about homosexuality because she came out of a lesbian lifestyle and became a Christian and uh, is now married to a, a man and is a pastor's wife in Durham. Uh, but her interaction with a woman who was protesting her event and leading a protest against that, and she was in the process of transitioning. And I loved how Rosaria dealt with her by just asking questions wow, that's a big surgery. Are you scared? Who's going to walk with you through that? Um, how are you paying for all this? Um, what do you need? And those kind of questions led to the kind of conversation that allowed her to be able to, to like, speak truth, and they, they didn't agree on everything, but opened up a door where this, this woman's crying and confiding in her, this is really scary, and ended up driving her to the airport afterward because she's like, I felt like I wish you were my mom. Um, really powerful encounter, though, of that asking questions that are about love and truth together. So, Yeah, and that's something that I really struggle with. I have a family relative who's been in a same-sex relationship for a long time, and... Um, 
uh, then lives in a state where it became legal for her and her partner to become married. And so they ended up uh, getting married. And I just didn't know what the line of love is. Where do you draw the, the line of love? Do I, they live too far away for me to attend, but do I go to the wedding? If I don't go and my judge says not loving them, her, um, if I do go am I condoning something that I don't feel is, is a part of my conviction? They ended up um, also deciding to have a child so my, um, uh, so they got pregnant, and then when the baby arrives, do you send a card? And is that any different? And <clears throat> so those are, I'm saying I don't have any answers to that. I'm going to be listening on Sunday, if you have any <laughs> answers to that, Jeff. <laughs> but, and I don't think there's necessarily a formula uh, there's not this or that. Uh, it's because of asking questions, because of the uh, relationship. Um, you know, my hope is that uh, if ever I felt like, if, if the decision on my part was not to go to the wedding, let's say, that I would have such a relationship with my friend, with my relative, that they would know me and trust me and trust that I love them and care for them so much and that they know where I am that our relationship wouldn't be affected in any way if I decided out of my conviction that I would not go. And so that means that I need to learn how to build that kind of relationship of love and trust even when I feel like I have to, um, to uh, make a decision that's centered on a conviction. Um, like that. Next question. You're born with same-sex sexual struggles or urges and want to follow Jesus. Is it God's will um, for that person to deny their sexual desires for their entire life? That seems like a raw deal to not be able to act on one of the most profound and fundamental experiences in being a human. How would you address that? It's hard. <laughs> I'm the token single person. It's hard. It's really hard. It's when I talked about earlier, there's stuff that's hard. And yet, as Anne, you know, described the beauty of Jesus in all of Scripture, that's, I can't deny that he's called me to celibacy. And I can't, and my heart goes out to those who have same-sex attraction, my heart goes out to them, period. It goes, my heart goes out to them. I'm called to be celibate. I'm, I'm, and it's hard, and it does not seem fair in this, the way the world looks at it, and yet I believe that he has called me to a path a way that is the way that is the best for me. And that's what I, how I would encourage um, someone that I was in relationship with. David, that's such a great point. You gotta have a relationship, right? Someone that I was in relationship with who had same-sex attraction and um, 
I believe I'm called to celibacy, and they are too. And it's hard. With complete compassion, because we're really more alike than we are different, I think about Jesus, and he was the picture of the most fully human human there ever was. And he was not in a sexual relationship. So full human, the, the full human flourishing is offered to us in him um, wherever we, we are in, in our sexuality, where, we're, where we are attracted. I love this, um, the title of the sermon by Thomas Chalmers. Um, it's the expulsive power of new affections. That's been really sticky for me, whether I don't struggle with same-sex attraction, but I struggle in other ways with sin. And um, that's what I would want to walk alongside my friend who has same-sex attraction and say, let's go, let's go look at Jesus together because you struggle here, I struggle here, and let's look at him and see him and let the beauty of him and what he offers to us be an expulsive power that whatever we feel like would be a loss that we would actually say as Philippians, as Paul says in Philippians, that um, whatever I counted as, you know, as, as gain, is it's loss for knowing Christ. So this went back to um, a question earlier. Uh, I forgot that question, but I want to ask it anyways. Um, so it says, what about reluctant men? How do you encourage men in your life to be responsible, self-sacrificing servant leaders? Can both women and men speak to this or speak into that person's life? So maybe if it's son or husband or how do we go about doing that? I think about our boys, and um, I think that looks a lot of different ways, first of all, in terms of what it means to be responsible and take on that role of accountability, being firstborn. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's all about what Jeff has been saying when he says what it means to be a man, right? And there's, there's a lot of um, what our culture says is what it, it what it means to be a man that that um, has nothing to do with accountability and responsibility role that that we end up taking on. It doesn't necessarily mean that the man is always initiating, always, right? Um, I think there is a level of um, how are we in our role really, like I mentioned earlier. Um, dying to ourself and ultimately helping those around us to thrive, um, to uplift the gifts of our wives, our kids, um, those around us who we care about and, and be for them. And that can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, so there's not, um, so I, I just would encourage them, encourage all of us men that 
you know, be who you are. God designed you uniquely, perfectly in the way that you're gifted. And I think we're often sort of, we may fumble a lot because we often feel like we have to operate outside of the way that we're gifted um, because we have to fit a certain role um, or what it looks like to be a man. But that still, that, that firstborn, that accountability, I think even, you know, when you think of Jacob and Esau, right? Like Esau was the man's man and Jacob was the servant and Esau just like, oh, you can have my, you can have my birthright. I don't want to be first, firstborn. You can, you can have it, Jacob. And here's this slowly, uh, what seemed to be not the strong man being the one who's taking on that responsibility. So, Time for one more. Say eight. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh oh. Where it is? Is it at the bottom? Yeah, I think it's, it says, What about reluctant men? How do you encourage men in your life to be responsible, self sacrificing servant leaders? Um, and maybe in context of family and the church, can women speak into that man's life? I can only really speak to the context of being a mother to sons. I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever um, <clears throat> spoken into a, a, another man, <laughs> man's life in that way. But I think um, what I was thinking about when David was talking, too, was that having six sons, um, <laughs> there was quite a diversity um, in, the, in, in that group. And so... So I was thinking about how I've called them to servant leadership. I mean, one of the things that's been interesting, um, one of the sermons made me think about all of them and how it's like they've all <laughs> have this ability to sort of want to be in charge of me. And so, <laughs> I mean, it was a part of the sermon that was making me reflect on that and, and just, um, but even recognizing like, you know what, I, I see that you have all this potential but right now, you have to submit <laughs> to what I'm telling you to do. But I think that with the variety of personalities, and some are just naturally more take charge, if you want to you know, think of that idea, than others. But um, I think calling them to take responsibility. And so calling them away from their tendency to want to blame, be defensive, make excuses. I mean, those are just some of the typical responses, and to, to call them to... Um, owning stuff, but I think that, you know, we've talked a lot about Jesus tonight, like taking them to the cross. It's not because they've got to be tough and have it all together and never drop a ball, but um, where did they get that courage or that strength to say, you know what, mom, you're right. I'm sorry. And I mean, I've heard that <laughs> so many times. It's one of the more humbling moments is when this child that you're like so frustrated and then they're like, you're right, Mom, and they own it. I think that's some of that servant leadership um, that you want to groom in your sons, if you have sons. <laughs> but I think, um, I'm not sure exactly what that looks like to call other men to that that <laughs> um, are not, I don't have authority over. But. I'd say in the context of marriage, um, if you are a, the wife of a man who you feel like needs encouragement to 
to um, live out the, the gender specialties. Um, this is your opportunity to shine as an encourager, as a prayer warrior, as somebody who sets the stage creatively, lovingly, to, um, to really usher in the opportunities for your husband to, um, to exhibit what God has called him to in, in the diverse ways that that might look man to man. Um, but I would just encourage you. I, I, think, um, I think these are really great conversations to have in marriage. I think we should be talking about these, in mar- these aspects of gender roles in marriage. Um, and I think a really, really helpful question is, how can I pray for you? I mean, at the end of the day, we're called to know and love each other. And getting at that question, how can I pray for you? When I ask my husband, how can I pray for you? It gives me such insight into where he's struggling, how I can be a, a rest giver and an ezer to him. And um, so I would... I would say that just practically, that that would be what I would offer um, to my husband. All right, last one. What about when it goes wrong, or you have experienced the roles in a painful way? What should you do? What should you do when you interact with someone of the other gender in the covenant of family or of church who isn't fulfilling the roles the Lord has given to us? So a little bit of that last question. But what about when it is abused? in specific relationships and in the broader context of the church. There's a great article that Susan pointed to me to today on the Gospel Coalition website about um, how you address abuses or failures within church leadership. That's really... I read after she told me about it that I would, I would encourage you, like, in the wake of this moment right now, where there's a lot that's just come out about abuses within the Southern Baptist denomination, and I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at them particularly. That's just the news story. But, um, but there are right and proper ways. One of the reasons that I love being a part of the Presbyterian Church is that um, I'm accountable. Uh, I have to promise to submit to my uh, brethren and the, my brothers and the Lord um, and is an elder, and um, I think it's, I can always be outvoted, and I think that's really important. Uh, there are abuses of power and authority that I want to acknowledge are very real and very destructive and probably have deeply affected some of you in this room, um, and that there are proper channels for dealing with those, and it is always right to speak um, about things that you see or hear that you're just like, that doesn't sit right with me. Um, if there are ways that you feel like um, you've been run over, or um, I, I just I feel like that those things need to be addressed in direct ways, and I, I want to encourage you to do so, and that this is a community that wants to hear that. Um, I also think that we really obey the Matthew 18 uh, with one another. Of if your um, your brother, your sister has sinned against you, you go and show them his fault, her fault, and uh, if they won't listen, um, if there's not some movement toward one another in that, 
uh, you bring an unbiased third party into that. And if you don't, that doesn't work, you bring in a leader into that. And I, I think that that's really important just to underscore within our context. Um, we are going to do, get these things wrong. We are a church full of sinners. And they may not be intentional, um, but it's really important that we, uh, those vows about seeking the peace of the body, those really mean something in our interpersonal relationships. And that we exercise those and we talk and we um, confront and ask forgiveness. Um, if you need help knowing how to do that, we did a whole sermon series on that about a year and a half ago, uh, which you can still go back and listen to. We can give you notes on how to do that. Um, but that's a really important dynamics to our church life as well. I'll just add quickly, um, for those who have been harmed, um, God looks on those who are oppressed in, in the kindest of ways and offers grace upon grace. And, and there are many who have, have experienced um, less than ideal Right? We see what's upheld to us in Scripture as this is the ideal marriage. This is the ideal um, love one another context of the church. But for those who have been harmed, um, I would just encourage you, and it's encouraging to my own heart, is um, we have a Savior who knows oppression, and, and he is near to the brokenhearted. Um, so again, as I watch him and as I watch him move towards those who have, who have lived in the midst of um, suffering and hardship at the hands of others, um, he has much to offer us. Uh, we're going to now make it your part. Uh, we're at the end of our Q&A time. Uh, if you have other questions, you're free to email those in uh, to any of the folks up here. Uh, but I do want to encourage you right now, we're going to take 10 minutes, and I want to ask you to turn in your seats where you are, and I want you to pray. Ask, I just want to ask you to pray for our church, and pray for our church with regard to how we live out gender as a community with love and truth. Uh, and if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's okay. God can hear your silent prayers. Uh, but we encourage you, um, this is going to get loud, and that's okay. But if you would turn to the two or three people around you and just take uh, 10 minutes to pray for us as a community, for how uh, we disagree agreeably, how we love each other, how we exercise gender within our community, how we um, love our neighbors, especially those of the transgender community, uh, if you would take 10 minutes and go do that. And then um, I'll close us in prayer in a few minutes. One, two, three, go. Lord, all the things that we've said tonight, all the interactions, I pray, Father, I know that there are questions that did not get answered. I pray, Father, that you would meet us uh, individually where we need you. Uh, Lord, we pray, Father, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to, um, if you have further questions, um, if you things that you didn't get to ask tonight or didn't get it, didn't make the all the, the questions, I know we had a lot more um, Please feel free to send those in um, and uh, to one of the leaders of our church. We'd be happy to interact on those. I want to thank you for coming and for uh, being here th this evening and for your prayers in particular at the end. Um, go in peace.